that's it, okay, then we go live. Seen it. I see you. You are good. Alright. Awesome. So you are on and you are live, so let me get this up on the screen and we're good to go. Alright. Well, welcome everyone. Uh, sorry for the confusion this this morning, I uh, woke up and had a fever and stuff, and so we thought we would stream this from home, and I apologize for the delay. We didn't realize that we needed some extra software to, to get the job done. So, uh, But we're here, and we're uh, thankful for those of you who have come uh, in person, for those who are turning in on live. Obviously, this isn't how we expected to do church today, but sometimes you just got to go with the, the flow. So uh, thank you to... Uh, uh, some of the, those at network who were covering for me there and walking us through how to do the live stream from home. Uh, we will do our small groups this week. Uh, just kind of pay attention if you're in the groups. Uh, I'll let you know whether I'm better and will be in church or whether we'll just Zoom those or not. Uh, we do have on the 20th a game night that we're planning, and on the 29th uh, we'll be planning for our congregational meeting. So I, I hope you can kind of plan on that on your schedules and we'll kind of uh, uh, do that and uh, share where we are as a church and where we're heading for the for the year to come so I hope you can participate with us for that so with that we'll uh, we'll pray and like I said I uh, apologize for the little delay in getting started hopefully that was our only hiccup today uh, we will do our, our best and uh, just uh, ask that you give us a little bit of grace as we kind of threw this together last minute so let's pray Oh, gracious and loving Father, we give you thanks for your beauty and your grace and just uh, just the technology that you give us to be able to do this. And uh, we pray that you would uh, anoint this service despite the uh, uh, the fallacies of, of your messengers and just uh, our struggles to, to navigate through all the technology. We, we ask that you would work, that your spirit would move, that you would touch uh, hearts and lives. And Lord, that you would just uh, make us mindful that while life doesn't always go as we expect, that you are faithful, that you are good, and you can be trusted. And we just we pray that as we uh, as we kind of go with the flow here this morning, that you would just guide us and direct us, and mostly that you would bring uh, honor and glory to your name. So we just pray that all would go well for that purpose. As we remember and as we say together the prayer that Jesus taught us, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. All right. I want to start us off this morning from Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord. Your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. We start off this morning with El Shaddai. Please sing out. I know I know that you will. Turn the sea into dry land 
knees The word of God who really sees And by your might you set your children free El Shaddai, El Shaddai El Adonai Age to age you're still the same by the power of the name, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, Adonai, we will praise and lift you high, El Shaddai. Through the years you made it clear that the time of Christ was here, the what Messiah ought to be Though your word contains a plan They just could not understand Your most awesome work was done And the frailty of your son El Shaddai, El Shaddai El Thank you. 
with Oh Praise the Name. And I hope your slides are keeping up with mine because <laughs> it, there's a delay between the two screens that I'm seeing. So, okay, I'm I'm clicking on them, but there's a delay, so I hope so you're not seeing that. Anticipate it. <clears throat> Scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, uh, verses 18 through 35, and I invite you to uh, follow along as we read from God's Word. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, 
And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. May God's blessing be on the reading of his word this morning. I hope uh, that everybody had a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and that by now you're kind of recovering from everything that the season brought with it. Those uh, cookies, those gatherings, those purchases, the, the travel that you may have been done. I hope that as we're kind of moving into the new year that you're kind of getting back into your rhythm of everything. But as you think about coming into the holidays, you know, we come into the holidays with all sorts of expectations. And uh, for many of us, we we enter into the holidays with a picture in our mind of how we would like things to go. Uh, we also might come into the holidays with a picture of our mind of how we expect things to go. And sometimes those two aren't uh, quite the same. And the same could be said when you accept a new job, when you enter into a new relationship or a marriage, when you have kids, when you embrace uh, retirement for some of you. Uh, what you've probably discovered is that life comes with expectations, uh, but it doesn't always turn out the way that you expect. For instance, let me tell you, when I uh, went to bed last night, I wasn't planning on streaming church this morning from my uh, house basement, but nope. uh, I thought under the uh, circumstances, you guys might appreciate that. But, uh, you know, life comes with expectations. We have expectations in many different fields and different seasons, uh, but life doesn't always turn out the way that we expect. Uh, Christmas uh, was, of course, on Sunday this past year. Uh, so my side of the family uh, planned to gather at our house after church because it kind of makes it more complicated on a Sunday. And we wanted to make things as simple and save some travel. We lived between mom and, and Dave and his family. And so we thought that would be the simplest way. We would throw something into the crock pot. We would come home after church and we would have lunch and be good to celebrate uh, Christmas. Well, it was cold, obviously, for Christmas. And when we got home from church, we thought, you know, it might be a good idea to run my mom's car for a little bit. Uh, well, it didn't start at first, and we had to work with it. And then when we finally got it started, it made this horrible screeching noise. Uh, she ended up staying with us one more night, and then Monday morning, uh, I offered to drive her home, and Amanda followed. And, uh, you know, it wasn't quite what we planned, right? Life comes with expectations, but it doesn't always turn out the way we expect. wasn't what we planned, uh, but really not that big of a deal. So we drop mom off, we swing through Eureka, we head back to Bloomington. As we're coming down Veterans Parkway, Amanda makes a comment. She goes, what is that smell? And I just need to say that it wasn't me. Okay, it wasn't me. Uh, but she's like, what was that smell? And initially we thought it was the car in front of us until we step, stopped at the next stoplight. Uh, and once we had stopped, we were able to see all the smoke that was coming out of our engine. Uh, and uh, there's nothing like watching your engine go up and smoke on Veterans Parkway. Uh, so let me tell you, this was not what we expected for the holidays. This wasn't how we planned on starting our vacation. Uh, but I suppose it has now become my most expensive uh, sermon illustration. Uh, because I want us to understand we bring expectations to life, but life doesn't always turn out the way that we expect. 
so by now I figuring that that's probably a truth that we all know all too well that things don't always go according to plan uh, and we could say the same about faith can't we God doesn't always do things the way we might like him to. Uh, God doesn't always work the way that we expect him to. Now, it's one thing to talk about cars that break down, and all of us are, are very well aware that, that cars do eventually break down. But, you know, when we think about life and faith, there's trials that come. Uh, sickness, you know, felt great all day yesterday. Felt just perfectly fine until last night, right? Sickness comes unexpectedly. Uh, of course, many of you have dealt with uh, death. Uh, the last year was very hard for some of you, seeing several people die. Uh, we go through perhaps financial struggles, dealing with inflation and all the things going on in the culture around us. You know, for some, especially as you think about the holidays, uh, the holiday holidays might uh, just kind of highlight the fact that there's some relational problems. I, I remember one time somebody came up to me when I was doing part-time work at the Four Seasons Juice Bar, and they said, what do you do about toxic family, right? Life doesn't always go the way we expect it to. Uh, for some, you might have crisis with career. And, and the question that I kind of want to pose for us today is, you know, when you wrestle to reconcile your current circumstances, whatever those current circumstances might be, when you wrestle to reconcile those circumstances with what you believe about God, how do you respond? Do you give in to doubts or do you pursue greater understanding and faith so as we look at our text in verses uh, uh, 18 through 20 it says the disciples of john reported all these things to him and john calling two of his disciples to him sent them to the lord saying are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another and when the men had come to him they said john the baptist has sent us to you saying are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Now, some of you might be thinking, now, wait, wait, wait a minute here. Is this the same John who undoubtedly heard stories from his mother Elizabeth regarding the circumstances of his and Jesus' birth? Circumstances that were described and announced by Gabriel, the angel? Is this the same John who earlier declared that Jesus was the one greater than he, of whom he was unfit to untie his sandals? Is this the same John who declared with conviction that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? The same John who baptized Jesus and saw the Spirit descend upon him? Uh, the same John that spoke with such conviction that he said, He must increase, but I must decrease? This is the same John. And we might ask the question of what happened between then when he spoke with such conviction and what happened to this text today when John is saying, are you the one? What happened? That his voice of certainty now has become a voice voicing some uncertainty. Well, we might say what happened was unmet expectations. As we think about the chronological life of Christ at this point, uh, Jesus is doing marvelous things. And these things that Jesus is doing are being reported to John. But at the same time, Things are not quite turning out as John expected with the coming of the Messiah. And part of what I like about this text today is it reminds us that as we embrace Jesus in faith, it doesn't mean that we have everything figured out. But what it does mean is we know enough to bring our doubts to Jesus. Now, as we go through the chronological life, we're also doing a harmonization of the Gospels. And so you can find the parallel account in Matthew chapter 11, uh, verses 2 through 19, and, and Matthew fills us in a, in a detail that Luke doesn't provide for us that explains John's unmet expectations. So if we look at Matthew's account, uh, he starts with, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ. John is sitting in a prison cell, uh, and John began this journey with high expectations, expectations that at this point appear to be going up in smoke and raising some doubt for John due to sitting in prison for the last 10 months. As we think about John and preparing the way for Jesus and speaking of conviction with Jesus, this wasn't quite what John expected. This wasn't how things were supposed to go. After all, John was the messenger who was to prepare the way. Could he not prepare the way much better from outside of prison? 
Uh, John earlier rightfully identified Jesus as a Messiah, but he had some mistaken expectations regarding what Jesus' ministry might look like at this time. Uh, and similar to a point that my brother Dave made uh, last week with Peter, you might say John was simultane simultaneously right and wrong. He was right in pointing to Jesus as the one to come, but John was wrong in some of his assumptions of what the first coming of Jesus meant. His wrong assumptions are now leading him to a place of where he's questioning, are you the one? And this is why right teaching is so critical. You know, if, if, we, uh, if we teach you something that's not true and uh, it doesn't line up with life, then it could cause a seed of doubt. If we teach you that God made promises that God didn't make and those promises aren't fulfilled, it could lead to seeds of doubt. This is why it's so vital that we teach the Bible and that we teach it accurately so that our faith has that solid foundation. But when you think about John, John the Baptist expected the Messiah to come in judgment. Now you may or may not recall, uh, because I don't want to be accused of having unrealistic expectations, uh, you might recall how John the Baptist, when he began preaching and when we're first introduced to him at the beginning of the Gospels, he's preaching that the axe has already been laid at the root of the trees and that every tree that doesn't bear good fruit would be cut down and thrown into the fire. Uh, he preached that the Messiah to come would be coming with his winnowing fork in his hand, gathering the wheat and burning the chaff from Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Uh, back in the days when I served at uh, Colfax and Aerosmith, there was a gentleman that I knew from a, from a different church, but I would run into him every once in a while. And every time I would see this gentleman, he would ask me, he says, are you giving them hellfire and brimstone, pastor? And I would tell him, I said, well, I'm waiting until you come. Well, from John's perspective, Jesus has come and he's asking, where's the judgment? From John's perspective, the Messiah is here, so why is evil still prevalent? Why are sinners still succeeding? Why are the righteous still suffering? Because from John's expectations, when the Messiah came, he was going to right all these wrongs. He was going to conquer his enemies. Uh, he was going to bring judgment and elevate the righteous. Wasn't the Messiah supposed to come as a warrior king like David? Wasn't Messiah supposed to set the prisoners free, according to Isaiah 61.1? So from John's perspective, Jesus is making an impact, an impact which is being reported to John, but Jesus' ministry is looking a little bit differently than what John expected. So I want you to notice what John does, because his present circumstances might have raised some doubts. This isn't quite what he expected to take place with the coming of the Messiah, but notice that John doesn't abandon faith. He knows enough to bring his questions and his doubts to Jesus, pursuing greater understanding. And so he sends disciples to inquire, are you the one? You know, there's really no more important question to be asked than who is Jesus. Uh, and as we think about where John is, I want you to understand that having some doubts and questions is not the same as disbelief. John doesn't write Jesus off. He doesn't say, I'm, I'm in a prison cell. He can't be the one. Rather, what John is doing is he's seeking confirmation. He's seeking understanding. He's saying, life isn't measuring up quite the way I expected. Things aren't going the way I thought they would. So I just need that voice of reassurance. Are you the one? Because I want clarity. I want to make sure. Now, Warren Wearsby writes, and I quote, uh, there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is a matter of the mind. We cannot understand what God is doing or why he is doing it. Unbelief is a matter of the will. We refuse to believe God's word and obey what he tells us to do. Doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong, said Oswald Chambers. It may be a sign that he is thinking. And that's exactly what we find with John. Things aren't going the way that he expected. He's trying to work things out in his own mind. He's trying to come to understanding because he understands that there's no more important question than to understand who the Messiah is and, what Je and who Jesus is. And so with that said, uh, at the same time, we're not called to embrace Jesus blindly, but in the evaluation of the evidence. So John's perception is being shaped by his circumstances. He's sitting in a prison cell. Uh, Mark Moore writes, and I quote, uh, there sat John in a prison cell in the fortress of uh, Macharius, John had been there for 10 months with lots of time to think. 
Jesus turned out to be different than John had imagined. The Messiah, according to prophecies, was to release prisoners, Isaiah 61.1. Jesus knew that, so why was John in a prison, sitting in a cell? So how fortunate that when John's disciples arrived, we read, In that hour, Jesus healed many of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. Verse 21. So rather than John coming and saying, are you the one through his disciples, Jesus doesn't give a simple yes, he doesn't give a simple no. Rather, he sends John's disciples back with his resume. He says in verse 22, he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed, oh, I'm sorry, that's where I want to end for now. So, you know, when you think about a claim, the truth of a claim is not in the claim. Something is not true simply because I say it's true. Unfortunately, we see this all the time in our culture. People make all sorts of, of false claims all the time, right? So the truth is not in the claim. Something's not true simply because I say it is. Uh, the truth of a claim is not based on feelings. It's not based on desires. When you think about the truth of a claim, it's on whether or not the evidence supports it. So as John's disciples come to Jesus and they say, are you the one? Rather than simply making a claim, yes, I am he, Jesus says, look at the evidence. Look at what is taking place. I understand that life may not be going the way that you expected it to, John. I understand that my ministry is not shaping up quite the way that you thought. But here is the evidence to support that I am the, the Messiah. In John chapter 10, verses 37 and 38, uh, Jesus says, If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. It's kind of as if Jesus is saying, John, I, I know how you feel. But put your feelings aside and examine the evidence. Hear the reports that are taking place. Your expectations of me do not define what is true. Nor is the truth shaped by how you feel or how you perceive things to be going. And so Jesus, in effect, as he sends the disciples of John back to him, saying, here are reasons to doubt your doubts. Look at the evidence. And Jesus' answer draws on various messianic texts from Isaiah, uh, but I want you to notice that Jesus, uh, while he draws on various messianic texts from Isaiah, he leaves uh, some out while he adds in another uh, line. So uh, when you look at what Jesus responds to John, he talks about the uh, blind and the lame and the lepers, uh, but he does not mention that the captives will be set free. And then there's another piece that he adds that's not from Isaiah, but rather from the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, where he says, and the dead are raised up. So it's true that uh, Jesus would bring release to the captives, but it's as if he's saying to John, but it's not the time for that yet. Uh, Mark Moore points out that in the, one of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the dead raised up was included where it wasn't in Isaiah. And so he writes, and I quote, it appears that Jesus quoted from the scroll saying to John, I know where you are, and I know what is going to happen to you. I won't free you from prison, but I will raise you up from the dead. I'm not what you expected, but I'm more than you imagined. And I kind of read that line from uh, Mark Moore, and I thought, that's really good. I'm not what you expected, but I am more than you imagined. And I think that's something that is held out for all of us. You know, God doesn't always work the way that we expect him to. Life doesn't always go the way that we want him to. Faith, the life of faith doesn't always go the way we expect. But what we will find as we're faithful to him is he will be more than we ever imagined. It's easy to trust when you have no reason to doubt. It's much harder to trust when God is working in ways differently than you expect. But what we will find is that God is working in ways that are better than we can imagine. Now, believing in something doesn't make it true. Neither does doubting something make it untrue. And I, I hate to get philosophical with you, but, you know, the truth is what the truth is, regardless of what your perception of the truth is. 
And if there's a contradiction between truth and your perception, then guess who's wrong? It isn't the truth. And you can accept the truth or you can reject the truth, but you cannot change the truth. You can accept Jesus. You can reject Jesus, but you can't change who Jesus is. The truth isn't determined by what you feel. It's not true by uh, what you claim, right? If you think about there's many different religions in the world today, and all of those religions teach something very different about who Jesus is, whether he's the son of God or just a prophet or a wise teacher. Uh, you know, there are many different philosophies and religions that teach very different things about Jesus. But the point is, is you can't change the truth. Jesus is who Jesus is, right? We can accept it or we can reject it, but we can't change who he is. Because truth is not determined by how you feel, but by what is real. And this is vital as we think about our culture today, because our culture wants us to believe that it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe something. Uh, but Jesus not only tells John's disciples to deliver his resume to John, but notice what he says in verse 23, which I almost gave away a moment ago. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Now this is a, a beatitude is unusual in that it's singular and not plural because it's directed to John first and then it's directed to us by extension. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Blessed are you, John, if you're not offended by how I'm doing ministry, by the timing that I'm doing in ministry, by the ways that I'm working, by how my kingdom is taking shape. Blessed are those who are not offended by me. John is saying, Jesus is saying to John, don't let your expectations of who you thought I would be cause you to miss who I am. Now the reality is, is we all have to draw our own conclusion about who Jesus is. But that doesn't mean the conclusion that you come to is correct. Now you may not like me for saying this, uh, but there's only one right answer, right? Because Jesus is who he is. We can accept the truth, we can reject the truth, but we can't change the truth. Jesus is not somebody different just because I want him to be. You know, I was thinking about this. Uh, my brother Dave filled the pulpit for me last week. And, uh, you know, if I were to ask you who I am, you know, there's only one right answer. I'm not Dave. I'm not Joe. I'm not uh, Sally. I'm not Susie, right? There's only one right answer. I'm, I'm Dan. And, you know, uh, when we think about Jesus, Jesus isn't just whatever a religion says he is, right? What does the evidence support? Are we offended by him or are we embracing him for who he is? Because what Jesus is saying to John's messengers is he says, don't get tripped up because I don't look or act exactly like you thought I would or because I don't do things exactly the way that you would like or because you might prefer something different. Blessing comes through embracing Jesus, not by being offended by him and turning or looking somewhere else. So Jesus is not doing things the way that John expected. His message varied from what John thought it would be, but whatever doubts John may have, it doesn't change who Jesus is. It only reveals John's lack of understanding. Uh, Bach writes, and I quote, uh, Jesus is saying to John and others that blessing comes to the one who is not offended by the uniqueness of Jesus' way of ministry. The fact that Jesus' style of messianic ministry is unexpected should not trip people up. Though stated negatively, the verse is a call to trust Jesus and to recognize that he knows uh, the way that he is going. Though stated negatively, the verse is a call to trust Jesus and to recognize that he knows the way he is going, whether or not we recognize it. He says, don't be offended by my style, that I eat and drink with sinners. Don't be offended by my message that grace is available to the greatest sinner. Don't be, affected, uh, don't be offended by my timing that I'm not doing things on the timeline that you might like to see. But he says, blessed is the one who trusts me, who looks at the evidence and who realizes that life may not always go as, the, as you expect, but you trust me in it because of what the evidence says. So Jesus gives a slight rebuke to John. Despite having John, uh, despite John having some questions of Jesus, Jesus then offers testimony to John, and I and I kind of like that because John's doubts didn't disqualify him. 
Remember, doubt and unbelief are two different things, right? So this is a good reminder that Jesus shows mercy not only to sinners, but Jesus shows mercy to struggling believers. And so Jesus isn't afraid to, to have us ask questions because truth is on his side. You know, when you have when you speak truth, you don't have to fear the questions, right? When, you, when you're living in truth, you don't have to fear the questions. So despite John is expressing some doubts at this point, note what Jesus says of John, uh, picking up with verse 24. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, and I tell you more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you that among those born of women, none is greater than John. So Jesus says, uh, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? Uh, a reed shaken by the wind? Now that was a common sight by the Jordan, but he says, that's not what you went out to see. You didn't go out simply to see the scenery. Did you go out to see a man dressed in soft clothing? That clothing belonged to the rich and the powerful, not to the prophet. He says, you didn't go out to see a politician or a king. He says, no, you went out to see a prophet and more than a prophet. Uh, John was not pliable and weak. He didn't bend to the powerful, which is why he's now sitting in prison because he was uh, confronting Herod. He didn't tell people what they wanted to hear to elevate himself and update his wardrobe. But Jesus says, you went out to see a prophet. And I tell you more than a prophet. John was not just another messenger. He was the messenger that prom was promised back in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 to prepare the way for another one to come. So if we were to, to uh, look at Matthew's account, Matthew adds uh, from Jesus, and if you're willing to accept it, John is Elijah who is to come. Now Luke doesn't repeat that for us here because Luke's already made that clear to us earlier in the gospel with the angel Gabriel appeared to uh, 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 in Luke chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 and said, and John will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So when Jesus applies this prophecy uh, to John, he's also making an implicit claim regarding himself. In fact, uh, if you look very closely at the prophecy, Jesus actually blends two different prophecies, one from Malachi 3.1 and the other from Exodus 23.20. It's very subtle, but he blends two different prophecies. And as he puts these two together, Jesus is declaring that God has come in the person of the Messiah, that God has come in Jesus. This is why he says, blessed are those who are not offended by me. God has come in the Messiah. I'm not going to be whoever you want me to be that you can embrace me for who I am. He goes on to say of John, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Uh, the greatness of John is attributed to his role in preparing the way for Jesus. Uh, what tremendous affirmation from the lips of Jesus. And so uh, it might be startling to us when we read the next part of the verse, because after saying that, uh, uh, I tell you among those born of women, none is greater than John, Jesus goes on to say, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So John had the highest role of any prophet, but he still died on the other side of the cross. John is still living under the Old Testament era. He was preparing people for the kingdom while we're called to participate in the kingdom. Uh, he was under the old covenant, we're under a new covenant. Uh, a new covenant where we experience the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so John was the greatest of born among women, but yet Jesus says greater uh, are those that were least in the kingdom because he wants us to understand how great it is what God has done for us through Jesus. So Mark Moore comments, and I quote, uh, Christians are greater than John, not because of what they have done, but for what God has done for them. And when Jesus makes a statement, he's not undermining John, but he's elevating what it means to be part of his kingdom that we have access and we have blessings that John only foretold because of the new covenant that we're under in Jesus Christ. But remember, we can accept the truth or we can reject the truth, but we can't change the truth. So as we go on through the text, 
verses 29 and 30. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. The tax collectors agreed with Jesus, for they recognized the message, uh, God's message through John. Uh, the Pharisees and lawyers, on the other hand, they rejected it, and they rejected the purpose of God for themselves. Now, Matthew didn't record uh, those two verses for us, but rather in Matthew, we have a, another little uh, debated saying, in Matthew, excuse me, Matthew 11, 12 through 15, where he says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now I can get into various views that people have of the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force, but I think the one that's best supported is it refers to the violent actions of Herod, who's put John in prison. It, it refers to the violence of the religious leaders who are opposing Jesus. It refers to those who are opposing the kingdom that has come uh, of God through, through Christ. And the irony that we see taking place is that the Jews expected the kingdom, but they reacted violently when the kingdom came. Why? Because it wasn't exactly what they were expecting. It wasn't what they were looking for. They had other agendas other than God's agenda, and consequently, they missed what God was doing in their midst. And I think a question that we each have to wrestle with as we think about what it means to follow God today is, do we embrace God's truth? Do we embrace, embrace God's uh, message even when it confronts us, uh, when it calls us to change, when it calls us to, to grow, when it, when it uh, uh, conflicts us rather than uh, comforts us? Uh, do we accept God's truth and his message when it doesn't always fit our style or our expectations, when it doesn't always uh, deliver to us what we want? Do we, expect, do we accept God's truth when it doesn't affirm how we feel? I think that's something we need to really think about as we think about our culture today and, and how it treats the whole idea of truth. Because we're left with whether or not we will embrace Jesus for who he is or whether we'll stand against him. And we're accountable for how we respond to God's message, which is illustrated through the little parable that Jesus finishes with in verses 31 through 34. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation and what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus says, to what shall I compare this generation? He, say, he kind of says, this generation is like fickle children who don't know what they want. And John came as a prophet. He denies himself the delicacies of life. He had a strong message of repent before judgment comes, and what did they do? They disregarded John. Jesus comes with a very different style. He's eating and drinking and hanging out with sinners and tax collectors and reaching out to them with the love and the mercy and the grace of God and saying grace is available to you. And what did they do? They disregarded Jesus. So because John ate no bread and drank no wine, they said he has a demon. Because Jesus did, they called him a glutton and a drunkard. It's kind of one of those cases where you just can't win. Mark Moore comments that these labels are more than libel. They have a social mechanism for discrediting the individual and diminishing his honor or status. By categorizing them, they didn't have to deal with their person and teaching. Remember, we can accept truth or we can reject truth, but we cannot change truth. And rather than respond to John's message with repentance, and rather than to rejoicing with Jesus and all that he offered in grace and truth, they chose to reject both because they didn't like what they had to say or their style of, of saying it or the, the manner that their ministry took shape and form. So they censored and they sought to counsel, cancel both John and Jesus, but ultimately they failed. In verse 35, he says, uh, yet wisdom is justified by all of her children. Now, if you read Matthew's account, Matthew says wisdom is justified by her deeds. Luke writes that wisdom is justified by her children. In other words, 
Jesus is vindicated by the works of his ministry, as well as by the fruit of the lives of those who embrace and follow him in his ways and, uh, and on his terms. In fact, we might say that part of the evidence for who Jesus is is the impact that he makes on those who truly follow him. Part of the evidence we have for Jesus is the, the life of the church that took shape and, and hold and, and uh, the manner in which Jesus still brings uh, fruit in the lives of people today. So as we bring this message to a close, uh, this month in, in January, we're kind of inviting you to consider uh, signing our covenant of membership uh, with Network Bible <laughs> Fellowship, which basically says, I want to take following Jesus seriously. So as a member of the body of Christ, given expression through Network Bible Fellowship, I covenant to pray daily, study diligently, worship weekly, give generously, teach boldly, serve joyfully, and love abundantly to the best of my ability as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because part of the evidence for Jesus, we can look at all the evidence and the apologetics for the, his death and his resurrection for what took place in the first century. But part of the living witness to Jesus is the difference that people see in the lives of those who follow him. Not those who simply call themselves Christian, but those who live the life, who accept the call as a disciple of Christ. And what I want to encourage you to think about is, are you willing to accept that call as we move into this new year to not only be one who says, sure, I'm a Christian, but to be one who takes seriously the call of a disciple, the call to follow Jesus. And what I think you'll discover is if you do so, in following Jesus, what you'll discover is not everything will go as you expect, but he will deliver more than you can ever imagine if you just faithfully walk with him. Amen. In your bulletins, you have a communication card, and we invite you to think about how God might be uh, speaking to your hearts this morning, and we invite you to, to throw that in the uh, offering plates uh, when you come up for communion as, a, as an act of worship. Uh, I tell you, it seems a, a little strange doing this from home and not being able to see everybody's face or, or play off the crowds and stuff, and, uh, but we have uh, some people there that are going to uh, take care of communion for you. Uh, and so I, I think those of you who are, are uh, keeping things afloat there while we're streaming from our basement, and I'm very thankful God has uh, carried me through this pretty well. I, 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 I'm, I'm thankful that I haven't had to stop and blow my nose a few times. Uh, so as we prepare ourselves for communion, uh, Jesus says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. You know, John was great in the role that he played and the purposes and the plans of God, but he stood on the other side of the cross. His message was to prepare people for the kingdom uh, that we are invited to participate in through the gift of the Holy Spirit that's made possible only through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So as you come to his table this morning, know that it is Jesus' death and resurrection that has achieved for you far more than just your forgiveness. He makes possible a new way of life as citizens of his kingdom. And while it's true that not everything here will go as we expect, we will discover that one day that all that he has done for us is far more, far more, far more than we have ever imagined. So may we choose to walk with him today through our next steps, through our stewardship, through our discipleship, that we might experience present blessings even as we await the fullness of what is yet to come through our Lord and our Savior. So I want to remind you that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us pray. O gracious and loving Father, as we come to this table, and as we remember what it must have been like for the disciples when they saw Jesus crucified on the cross, the life doesn't always go the way that we expect. But at the same time, we also recognize that you deliver far more than we ever imagined. And we see that through the promise of resurrection. And so we just pray that as we come to this table, that we would just recognize in the depths of our heart that there may be hard times, that there will be trials, that Life and, and faith will not always shape up the way that we hope or want or expect it to. But then as we remain faithful to Christ, as we choose not to be offended by him, but to embrace him, 
that ultimately our destiny will be far more than we ever imagined. And we just pray that that faith and that hope will carry us and sustain us through this life as we wait coming uh, to, to spend eternity with you in Jesus' name. Amen. We invite you to uh, come forward. Uh, however, uh, the guys there are, are ready to do that. Beautiful, and your eyes are like the stars. Gentle hands have healed there inside the stars. Loving arms, they draw me near, and your smile that brings me peace. Draw me closer, oh my Lord. Draw me closer, Lord. Jesus gave us from the sacrifice that he made on our behalf and with his declaration on the on the cross of it is finished that we can trust and have faith and believe in what he says and has promised for us would you please stand as we close with it is finished
religions, they would teach you very different things about Jesus. But Jesus tells us, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. We can accept him for who he is, but we've not really accepted him at all. So go forth unashamed of Jesus and go forth to follow him courageously and joyfully as you show yourself to be disciples of Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Go forth with his peace and in his power and with his love. Amen. Amen. Yeah.